to the Auto Parent Podcast with my mom. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Auto Parent Podcast, episode 25. It's episode 25. I can't believe it. We're a quarter of a century old. Is that how that works? I don't I don't know. Um, 25. So you know that we had to bring in a big guest for this episode. It's a video podcast. I'm so excited. Um, I'm your host, Pastor Casey Van Atta Casebeer, and y'all know me. So let's get to our special guest for this episode. Our special guest for this episode is Reverend Ginger Gaines Sorelli. And she is a lifelong United Methodist who is passionate about sharing the good news of God's liberating love in Jesus Christ. In 2014, she became the first woman to serve as senior pastor of historic Foundry United Methodist Church in Washington, D.C. Since Ginger's appointment, Foundry has re-energized its work for racial justice through the work of the journey to racial justice, become a founding member of the Sanctuary DMV movement, and created a sacred resistance ministry to mobilize consistent action in response to troubling current events. A graduate of Yale Divinity School, Ginger has served a variety of congregations, small and large, urban and suburban, in the Baltimore-Washington Conference of the United Methodist Church, in addition to an uptown Manhattan and two-point charge in the New York Annual Conference. Ginger has served at the Baltimore-Washington Conference as chair of the Board of Discipleship and currently serves on the Board of Ordained Ministry. In addition, she has served as an elected delegate to the 2016 General Conference and the 2019 Special General Conference of the United Methodist Church. For over 20 years as a pastor theologian, her ministry has encouraged spiritual growth and engaged discipleship, emphasizing radical hospitality, shared ministry, spiritual practices, and solidarity with the poor and oppressed. With this focus, she has brought deep depth, health, and growth to every community she has served. Ginger contributed to and served as a general editor for the CEB Women's Bible, her book, Sacred Resistance, A Practical Guide to Christian Witness and Dissent, was released in May of 2018. Ginger is a sought-after preacher, teacher, and facilitator at local, regional, and international events. She enjoys gardening, yoga, poetry, art, ice cream, travel, hiking, and is married to Dr. Anthony T. Gaines Sorelli, a Catholic theologian currently serving the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops as a director in their Ecumenical and Interreligious Affairs Office. The Gaines Sorellis live in Washington, D.C. with their new cat, Fiona the Brave, and Clumber Spaniels, Harvey, and Daisy. And I just want to say, my kids like to call you Gingerbread Man. Yes. <laughs> So I'm just adding that. Um, <laughs> I'm so excited to be doing this with you. It's funny to read your bio like that in front of you. But um, yes, you are all those things and many, many more that are not on that page. So I'm very thrilled for you to be here. Thank you. It is a great opportunity to hang out with you in a different kind of space. So thanks for the invitation. And this is exciting. I can't believe it's been 25 already. I know, right? It's hard to believe. I'm so excited because we had to pull out one of our favorite segments called Fun Facts. And so mm -hmm. I was really excited to do this segment with you where we cultivate, shall we say, totally true, absolutely 100% factual things about our lectionary text for this episode. And so here's some fun facts about this lectionary text that we're going to get into a little bit later. The first one is, um, Ginger, did you know that the woman thought that she was bleeding, but really she just sat on a tomato and invented ketchup? 
I did not know that. This is news to me. It's very helpful for the next time I preach this text. Um, Well, yeah, right. Um, Well, there's one that you may not know, which is that instead of saying why all this commotion and wailing, he announced himself as the Jesus tornado. (laughs) I didn't know that, actually. But the Jesus tornado sounds phenomenal. It sounds like a sermon series, actually. I, well, I tornadic Jesus. You no, know I could. <laughs> no, you could. I know you could. I kind of like uh, the Jesus tornado. I, we should like. He should have a cape. Yes. Like a, yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, okay. Well, here's another one. It actually wasn't the woman's faith uh, that caused mm-hmm. her to be healed. It wasn't her faith. It was her superpower, magic hands. Oh. Yeah. Well. Okay. They could reach through force fields. Uh-huh. 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 <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the last one that I think is, is really, really important for people to know, this is a super important, absolutely true fact about the scriptural text. If you look at the original language, yes. Talitha Kum really means you and I both know you want to get up. <laughs> Oh my goodness. This has been a segment called Fun Facts. And it never disappoints. <laughs> and again, I'll just remind you totally true, completely totally true. factual. Completely factual. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, let's get into our special guest questions for the week. Uh, the first one that we always like to ask every special guest uh, it's a great way to get to know somebody just right off the bat. Let's complain about something. So, what is your biggest pet peeve? Well, I, I was thinking about this in a couple of different ways. First of all, the thing that makes me absolutely nutty, um, just personally, is to have anything sticky on my hands. So, that's like a massive pet peeve stickiness. I don't like stickiness. I don't want a sticky countertop. I don't want I, that makes me twitchy and nutty. And I really, really, really don't like when someone doesn't do their job. (laughs) (laughs) When someone says there's then they know what they're supposed to do and they just don't do it. Uh, That, that makes me, I just, I don't like that. Yeah. So first thing that comes to mind is like parenting in five words is, is like, why is everything always sticky? Number one. Mm. So I'm Mm. totally with you on that. (laughs) Number two. Yes. Oh, not doing your job or not doing what you say you will do. Those are two of my big pet peeves as well, for sure. Okay. So another good thing that we can talk about is a time when you've laughed the hardest or when you've recently laughed really hard? I try to laugh a lot all the time. So this is a hard question. I think I have to say though, um, being reunited with our Foundry staff team recently was the most recent super hard laugh that I've had. And it was awesome. Like it was make my stomach hurt, tears rolling down my cheeks, laughter, which happens kind of on the regular uh, with staff team. So I'm going with that. Yeah, I often don't share, but I will echo what you're uh, <laughs> what you're referencing. <laughs> we had a, we had a lot of fun together, and I laughed more than yeah. I've probably laughed in a year. So yeah, 
That was good. It was healthy. Yes. Healthy is a good word. A good word. All right. Well, um, we're going to transition now into something new. We're going to talk about some lessons that we've learned. Um, And I thought it might be fun to talk about some lessons that kids have taught us, some lessons that we've learned from youth and lessons that we've learned from a parent or two. And so the first one that we'll start with is kid lessons, something that kids taught me. I'll go first. So (laughs) I had one kid, (laughs) this is a funny, I'll start with a funny. I had one kid come up to me and ask me if God was like the lunch lady once. And I was like, um, I don't, I'm not sure. What do you mean? And the kid, (laughs) the kid was like, well, my parents make me keep my leftover lunch money and put it in the offering plate. And then I come up and I get bread. And so I just want to (laughs) know, is God like the lunch lady? (laughs) And I was like, you know, I never thought of it that way. (laughs) Very interesting. There was clearly something happening in this child's brain that made those connections, which I love the the literalism. Sometimes it's hilarious. But in that same sort of vein, I also had a child, we were talking about Noah's Ark. And this is many, many appointments ago. We were talking about Noah's Ark. We were talking about the flood and we were talking about all the things and the child raised their hand and they were like, so, I mean, do I have to believe this to go to heaven? <laughs> and I was like, um, n- no. Like, I was young and also didn't really know what I was doing for sure. So I was like, no, I don't I don't think so. And they were like, good, because I don't believe this happened at all. <laughs> like, oh, great. So it was a it was a good lesson for me as a young, you know, children's pastor learning about how, you know, sometimes the expectation is biblical literacy and integration of the Bible with their development and faith. And sometimes it's just like, does this I mean, are we all agreeing to this? Why? (laughs) This doesn't have anything to do (laughs) with my faith. And it started a beautiful conversation with this child and their parents. And yeah, it was just, it was a moment that I was like, I will always remember this moment. Um, So I wonder if you have a moment where a kid has taught you something. Oh, yeah, more than I could count or recall for sure. I mean, I I love, I love the way that, (laughs) that kids always sort of come at it from an angle, not, you know, a lot of times an angle that are just, is just completely unexpected. And that's, I think that's the thing that for me, I think about a lot just in general is the the sort of always asking the question and the sense of curiosity. Like, what is that? Why is that? You know, um, what does it mean? <laughs> you know, why do I have to do this? It's like always asking the question that people, we, we assume when people grow up that they don't have those questions anymore, but I think we just stop asking them. And kids always remind us um, to just keep asking the questions. And that for me is, it's like this constant, it's just this constant reminder that I love so, so much. And I, you know, I was trying to think of like a specific, a specific moment with a little one. I think, I think for me, it's, it's more sort of broad like that, the the way that kids are so direct, um, which is a good reminder for me too. Like they just say what they, you know, like what they want or what they see or perceive, or they ask their question. I mean, if we could just learn that, I think that would be a really important lesson for us to learn again and again from our from our little ones. It's just to keep asking the questions instead of thinking we're supposed to know everything. Ooh, 
The words are coming real early, (laughs) listeners. (laughs) This is a free podcast. I just want to say that. (laughs) This is good, good stuff. Yeah, good stuff. I love that. Keep asking the questions. That's true. That's true. It also reminds me, too, of some lessons I've learned from youth. And so I have a funny, I have a funny, of course, which is that I was uh, shepherding a confirmation class once. And it got time to talk about, you know, baptism and taking the the, the membership vows and the whole process. And there was a, a youth who had not been baptized yet. And it was clear that he had thought about this. I mean, really thought about this. And he, <laughs> we were talking about baptism. We were like in the throes of it. I mean, we were talking about grace and like the water and like, it was just, it was flowing and it was good. And he raised his hand and was like, um, if I get baptized in cheese, does that make me a human nacho? Wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> Uh If I get baptized in cheese, does that make me a human nacho? And I was like, I was taken aback because I was like, I mean, technically, yes, I guess. (laughs) Um, So that's a moment that I will never, ever, ever forget, which is brilliant and amazing and hilarious that I could just see the wheels turning. And this child had been thinking about this for quite a while. The other thing is actually in the same confirmation group. This was a good one. We were talking about prayer and the need for prayer. Mm -hmm. And I was sort of, and this was, again, this was early on. I had no idea what I was doing. I still don't, but you know, less so than maybe. And so we were talking about prayer as a part of the faith journey. And I was asking them, you know, are there moments in your day today where you thought to pray or thought you might have needed to pray? And they all sat there just completely silently, completely silently. And I like to let the silence simmer. I'm one of those people. Make it uncomfortable because that's where we need to be. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I waited and waited and waited. And finally, this kid spoke up and he was like, so do you want me to just lie? Like, what are we, what are, what are we doing here? Do you want me to pretend and that I prayed today? Or do you, would it be better if I just told you that I didn't pray today? And actually, I probably don't intend to pray tomorrow. (laughs) I was like, yes, yes. Oh my gosh, that's what I want. And so it was just a reminder of the important lesson of transparency and honesty, authenticity, showing up in a space in a way that honors our experience that isn't based in some kind of falsehood or pretense or desire to achieve a thing that isn't necessarily even achievable. And so it's, it's a posture that I've taken you know, with me as I've been doing this ministry for, you know, 10 plus years now. So yeah, it's a, it's a gift and a lesson that I'll never forget. And one I incorporate almost every time the youth and I are together now. So. I love that. I love that. I think, I mean, again, I've had that experience with youth and with adults at various ways, which I always love it when you've got the person who says the thing (laughs) that breaks everything (laughs) open, you know, it's like, wait a minute, what if, what what are we doing? Because that's for me, I mean, the authenticity piece is just so important. And one of the things that, and that actually makes me think about something I hadn't thought about earlier, but it's just been so consistently true for me in working with uh, youth and teens is just, you know, they can smell, um, 
let me use the word inauthenticity from a gazillion miles away. Right. So, you know, they, they know if you're showing up and being honest and real and, you know, or if you're kind of full of it. And, and so that in itself is kind of, I mean, there's something to learn from that about how we come into community with anyone. Um, but certainly, but certainly uh, our teenagers, a lot of them aren't going to let us get away with a lot of pretending or things that don't really matter. And I think the, I mean, I had a couple of just, I mean, the first, literally when I read this question, the first thing that came to mind was they, they've taught me how to use my phone. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Everything I know how to do on my iPhone, I learned from a teenager. That's all I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's that. But I think the other things that I learned from, have learned, and again, consistently learn, is this capacity to innovate and try try new things. I think about even years ago when I was doing youth ministry, you know, when I was the, the youth minister and I was doing a lot of camp stuff and developing creative worship and bringing in teenagers to help create those those experiences and just how innovative and creative and you know well let's try this and what if we use this this song and if we did I mean whatever it was just a willingness to not get stuck mm-hmm. in in a certain kind of thing it's like well what are we trying to do and how can we do that and sort of with us with a sense of fresh vision and creativity so that's something that I miss, honestly, is getting to spend time with uh, teenagers in those kind of spaces because it feeds it feeds a lot of creative juice for my own spirit. But I think it's a lesson again. I think it's a lesson for me, but for anyone who's paying attention. Yeah, I always like to say the youth will lead us if we let them, <laughs> which tends yeah. to be often the biggest hindrance is mm-hmm. finding spaces for youth to lead. And the, I think the gift at Foundry is that, that it, that is the case and that we really do have um, some really strong leaders in our youth who are wise beyond their years. I know I, <laughs> I heard one of our youth say the other day, there were a bunch of their friends who were pressuring them to like obtain a significant other. You need to be with uh-huh. someone. You need to get a girlfriend or a boyfriend. And they were like, what do I want to be less friend, like worse off friends with someone? <laughs> that the deal that I want to be worse friends with someone. And I was just like, how are you 12? Like what is going on? (laughs) But I, yeah, I love it. I love it so, so much every single day. the, The time I get to spend with our young people. Okay. So let's talk about some lessons we've learned from a parent. I'll just say, it's been such a gift to do this podcast and to get to hear from so many of our listeners who are parents who are just doing the thing like we're doing the thing. And it has been sort of amazing to just know that one of the most important things that we can offer is solidarity and hope. Those two things together, um, that's sort of been the overall arching, overarching mantra of the podcast is like solidarity and hope, solidarity and hope. And it's just a reminder that sometimes there are ways that we can help in really concrete ways. Like there, there is childcare that is needed. There are things, there's, you know, meal trains that are needed for new babies. There are things that we can do consistently, but how we show up in the in-between time is really important too. And one of the biggest needs 
is this is this understanding of like we're not alone and the pandemic has exacerbated that idea right that we are parenting in in a silo or parenting you know sometimes off a cliff just trying to like figure it out and so the the gift of community and recognizing that that need is both concrete and sort of in continued communal connection has been something that our our parents have have taught me and that we've learned together. So that's been, that's been a gift and a, and a lesson for sure. I parent vicariously. (laughs) I don't know. I have not raised children of my own in the sort of traditional ways, kind of a mothering presence more than anything else, but certainly observing the first, I have some, you're one of many colleagues of mine who are in ministry and have children. And so, and so I get to be kind of in close proximity and community and observe. And my first reaction is always just like, I'm not worthy. Like I have no idea how you all do what you're doing. (laughs) I'm not worthy. But I think one of the things that I think about a lot is uh, two things come to mind. One is the beautiful sort of moments when I've seen parents be able and willing to to extend grace inwardly, Mm. to say, I'm doing the best I can, and it's enough. And that's really hard. And I've, I've, you know, been in those conversations, and I've heard, I've heard people really grappling, you know, I've been, I've read some stuff about just how hard, maybe mothers in particular, but I wouldn't want to limit it in that way. How hard, pe- how hard parents are on themselves about trying to get it right, whatever the right is, right? And so I think for me, it's just like watching people really kind of grapple with that and try to learn how to hold and to honor their the vocation of parenting with lightness and grace. That's we receive that from God if we if we will. So sort of the openness to let God remind us that it's enough, you know, just do what you can with love. And, and that's, that's human work, but it's in the role of parenting. It feels to me like, and particularly in this kind of last stretch, which has just been, again, I have no idea how any of you have survived, but except that you're all extraordinary and have magic hands, like the woman in the gospel, (laughs) you make magic happen. I, I think that, that watching and observing people really grapple with that and try to come to a place of being able to hold things with some grace and equilibrium has been really beautiful. And I think parents, it's one of the things that I learn because I think about, wow, that's a lot. It's uh, inspiring, honestly. I'm not trying to romanticize anything. I'm saying it's hard, human work. And the, the work and the vocation of parenting is a particular sort of space in which to do that work which is kind of a crucible space a lot of times. So getting to kind of be adjacent to that in a close way is um, there's a lot to learn there. And I think the other thing that I think about too, that parents, parents that I see who do this really well teach me too, which is that being clear and setting boundaries for themselves and for others, for the kids, you know, is just like one of the most important, beautiful things to do. And so that is a piece that I have tried to um, soak up for every kind of human space that I'm in, because my own parents, I think, did that fairly well. 
And I hated boundary. I don't like limits and boundaries, but you know, we have to have them to feel safe mm-hmm. enough to risk anything to make sure that we're, we're taking care of ourselves too. So I feel like that's another thing that we all have to practice, but I feel like parents to, to watch a parent really work that in a, I mean, oof, those are the masters you ask me. So those are my thoughts on that. Amazing. A lot of what you brought out is sort of Yeah, it's a it's a combination of all the things that we've talked about in the past 24 episodes and you made it clear and beautiful and accessible in a way that nobody else could have done. This is why I'm so glad you're here. So this has been a segment called Greatest Lessons. And I also want to remind you that normally we're sharing fails, confessions, and wins on the podcast. Um, If you have any greatest lessons, fails, confessions, or wins that you want to share with the podcast, you can do so via voice memo. We'd love to hear your voice or you can type them out to us on Instagram and Twitter at AutoParent. And now it's time to do a little something different. Now it's time for our Get Real segment where each week we take the lectionary passage and get real. Our lectionary passage for this week comes from Mark chapter 5, verses 21 through 43, and here it is in the New Revised Standard Version. When Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered around him, and he was by the sea. Then one of the leaders of the synagogue, named Jairus, came, and when he saw him, fell at his feet and begged him repeatedly, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, so that she may be made well and live. So he went with him, and a large crowd followed him and pressed in on him. And now there was a woman who had been suffering from hemorrhages for 12 years. She had endured much under many physicians and had spent all that she had, and she was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. For she said, if I but touch his clothes, I will be made well. Immediately her hemorrhage stopped and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. Immediately aware that power had gone forth from him, Jesus turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing in on you. How can you say who touched me? He looked all around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling, fell down before him, and told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, some people came from the leader's house to say, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the leader of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. He allowed no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the house of the leader of the synagogue, he saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. When he had entered, he said to them, Why do you make a commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. Then he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum which means little girl, get up. And immediately the girl got up and began to walk about. At this, they were overcome with amazement. He strictly ordered them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So 
We will just do some initial reactions. So what are you thinking up top, just initial reactions about this particular passage? Some of the first things that come to mind, I spent, just for transparency, I spent a good chunk of time working on the Luke version of this this cluster of these sort of interwoven stories of Jairus' daughter and the woman with the hemorrhage uh, to write a paper on salvation, like what salvation actually means. So I, I've dug into this a lot, so I'll try to, to not get down into stuff that we don't need to get to. But um, so the, some of the first things, I just reading it again today and in Mark's version, I'm mindful that that the centerpiece in both of these these stories, the sort of sandwich way of telling, is about about women and girls. So I'm I'm mindful of that. Um, I don't I think it, for me it's always struck me just that little detail about 12 years uh, old is the child and 12 years of bleeding, of suffering. So that those are those are details that stick out for me, and I I always want to ask like a child, what's that about? I'm also, I'm also mindful that uh, anyone who was bleeding would have been uh, impure in the culture of the time. Therefore, this woman was not just suffering physically. She, it's not that she just was sick or something had this sort of physical ailment, but was because of that disconnected from the whole community, could not have been touched, would have had to be um, outside the sort of normal flow of things. It was one of the reasons that this act was so bold and dangerous, really, for her to step into a crowded space where she could touch all sorts of people and make them unclean. And, you know, so there's Simone Weil talks about affliction as being complete, like your emotional, spiritual, physical, social all of it um, is is in distress or is there's pain points in all, at all levels. And this woman was was afflicted in that way. So um, so the turnaround is pretty complete. Yeah, um, those are my thoughts, my think, first thoughts. <laughs> I think what's rising up for me um, a little bit is is <laughs> sort of the how do I put this? Uh, the ways in which women, at least in my experience, have been taught to hide their affliction, to sort of push down pain. It's why some of the strongest people I've ever and toughest people I've ever met in the world have been women. I know my grandmother in her in her last days, she had been diagnosed with cancer and knew that it had spread pretty fast and, and all over her body. Um, but there were certain, she had open wounds underneath her arms that nobody knew about. And my dad went to pick her up to take her to her um, the bed that would be in the living room where she would die. And when he picked her up, she he could just see the look of pain on her face. And it wasn't until they, you know, because she was sort of changing her clothes and doing everything until the very last minute. It wasn't until they were changing her clothes for the last time that they saw she had this big open wounds. And I thought, right. <laughs> That's that's the sort of thing that we've all been kind of indoctrinated and bathed in is this idea that that if women are in pain or um, are afflicted, um, that we're 
complaining or, <laughs> right, complaining or whiny or all of these words that we get sort of thrown our direction. And what's interesting to me too is that there's a connection between, um, I think, the fear of a woman knowing and feeling confident with what's happening with her own body. There's fear mm -hmm. associated with that. And so in, I love how in the text it says that when she was healed, she knew it in her own body. Yeah, it just <laughs> makes me think about what a what a lesson that is, and how um, how perhaps that may have something for us. Yeah. Well, and the other thing, yes, all of that, all of that. The other thing that I thought about, and I don't think I had thought about it necessarily quite in this way until I was reflecting for today. The fact that you've got this story of Jairus's daughter and the whole community being focused on her. I mean, the thing that, that I'm thinking about is starting at a young age to care, <laughs> to care about a girl, a young girl, little girl, to honor a little girl's life. And I also, you know, I, I, I could be making more of this and culturally I'd have to go back and do a bunch of study, but I'm curious about 12 years old. And it seems to me that 12 years old is the time when a lot of young girls begin to hit the point where they start to menstruate. So you have like blood. I, this was just part of where my brain goes. And I'm thinking about sort of girls coming into a, like at a turning point, that 12 year old time. Um, again, this could be a cultural overlay from here to there, but I, but it's what, it's what I'm, it's what's stirring. And for me, it's like the whole piece about this father who was advocating for his daughter, not his son, but his daughter. And there's something really beautiful about, about that. It also makes me think about like fathers and daughters and what that's all about. I mean, that's a whole other piece we could talk about <laughs> in terms of, you know, how gender in our relationship and with our kids, how, how we engage our kids. Do we honor who they are regardless of their gender? Are they valuable? Are they valued in tender points where a girl is becoming a woman? Are we honoring that movement? Um, so anyway, this is it all. It, it just brings up all these different things about about girls' bodies, women's bodies, and the sort of engagement of parent to child community to child, particularly little girls. How do we care for little girls, their their lives, their bodies, and particularly in tender moments when something's not is clearly not right, or when they're making a sort of transition into a new phase of their life? Yep, I'm sobbing. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 abundantly powerful, um, and something that I that I hope that all of our young people experience, especially our young people who identify as, as women and girls, to have someone validate who they are in the fullness of yeah. who they are. Yeah. Yeah. Not, well, and then, not, I'm sorry, go say what you were going to say. No, I was just going to say, not I love you, I love you regardless, <laughs> but mm -hmm. I love you and validate you and recognize your worth and we'll fight for you. We will yes. like seek out your healing. I mean, and then the, you know, the other piece here is the role of Jesus and sort of what that tells us about how God engages these, 
these, I mean, for me anyway, that's the, that's the step I make uh, from my, my perspective of, of faith. And, you know, you've got Jesus again, um, who felt in his body. So she felt in the woman felt in her body healing or some change Mm -hmm. and wellness. And Jesus felt in his body, the power, it says, you know, power had gone out from him. So he felt this thing that had been, that had, yeah. So there was this deeply incarnate body to body kind of, there was a touching and then what Jesus does next, I mean, for me, one of the key pieces here, and you talked about hiding and how we have to hide. I think what you shared about your grandmother and sort of women have feeling like we have to hide so much. Don't even get me started on perimenopause or menopause, because that's a whole other thing. What do we have to hide? I mean, we have to, pr- you have to pretend that nothing's going on. Right. I mean, you, I, I don't mean to like go down a rabbit hole here, but I'm just saying that from, be- from the beginning of life all the way through in various ways, um, women and girls are, are basically told that we have to, we have to hide certain things. We have to try to put certain things forward. We have to, you know, we're always kind of bobbing and weaving to figure out when we can speak, when we can, can take up space, when we can have emotions without being dismissed, which is not very often. And I mean, you know, I mean, I could get on a real rant here. I may be already on a real rant here, but anyway, but I think, I think the fact that the, that the woman, like the woman touches Jesus, Jesus feels the power going forth from him and then was determined to see who it was, would not allow her to remain hidden. For me, it's a key piece in the, in the story is that Jesus won't, it's not, will not let her remain hidden, Um, which is not to say he was being, you know, the point is, is this sense of liberation and restoration into community. I think that's my reading of it, at least. Again, in terms of the different layers of affliction to be perceived, to be seen um, in the community and to know that it's your power, not your power helped to bring about this healing. It's this like extraordinary restoration of her, of her presence, of her dignity, of her value, of her worth, because Jesus wouldn't let her remain hidden. And then adds to that this blessing to say, your faith has brought about this change, this, this release, this liberation from the affliction. And of course, it was relational is the thing because there was this sort of between Jesus and her. So it wasn't just her. It was, it was her and in that relationship with the divine one, with the holy one present in Jesus, I think. It may be one of my favorite stories in the whole Bible, because I just think it, I think it holds the core of so much of what the gospel is about. And the fact that women and girls are at the center is not an accident in my view. Right. Yeah, I think we've, we've, I mean, there's so much to be harvested here, I think for our, our listeners and parents for sure. But I wonder if we might be able to concretize some things that mm-hmm. perhaps this text might mean for parents and families. Again, I'm just, this podcast continues to amaze and surprise me. Um, obviously, like I've been teary this whole time. Yeah, I just, I would love to be able to think through just 
perhaps snap a parent hermeneutic on it and see what kinds of things might come from that. Well, I mean, the thing that comes to mind immediately, I think, is this sense of advocating for being present to your child, (laughs) (laughs) which I think most parents try to do. But this sort of the importance of being present in those in those, you know, how to be present in those really tender places and maybe inviting God into that space in some kind of way. I mean, can we can we invite can we invite the presence of Jesus into the spaces where things are painful or hard with our child? I mean, I'm just sort of thinking out loud here. I'm in a place where I feel like my child is 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 shut down. I can't get a response. Or my child is suffering or my child is in this really important transition point in their life. How do we invite the presence of Jesus or the Christ, however you kind of different people relate in different ways? But how do you invite that presence into into the space? Because, again, it's like we all need help and we need each other, as you pointed out, Casey, at the beginning, this sort of solidarity um, that, that you're not in it alone. I just always like to remind us that the other the, the other one in the room is always is always spirit, Christ, holy one, mother, father of us all. So, you know, how do we sort of cultivate that presence in a way that can be strengthening both for for parents and help be a blessing for our children? It's a question. Yeah, yeah. I think that's really important. We've talked a lot on the podcast about mental health and about therapy and about sort of tools and resources in the toolbox. I know for me as um, someone new to the, oh gosh, I'm going to gag when I say this, the DC parenting scene, um, but that's what it is. <laughs> that's what it is. There's a tendency to want to like read all the books, consume all the articles, do all the things in order to do diligence to to some of these turning points that you're talking about and absorbing some of that information um, on an intellectual level is helpful and, and partnering that with a good um, sort of mental health plan of whether that be medication, I will continue to say medication is a viable and wonderful tool in the toolbox, therapy, et cetera, et cetera. And along with that though, (laughs) right, comes occasionally uh, a white knuckle grip a, con- a control, a desire to control. Um, mm-hmm. And so some, sometimes what we miss is, is an invitation <laughs> for spirit into the hard places, mm-hmm. which is something that, that mm-hmm. you said that has stuck with me. Who better than to bring that to us um, than you? Yeah, I think that's definitely something for our listeners to carry with them this week. Yeah. I mean, and we could talk about what that actually looks like, but that's a whole, you know, that, that there's, what does that actually mean? I mean, for me, again, my question is always, well, what does that mean? <laughs> what does it mean? How do you do that? Um, and trying to trying to help it, you know, not just be some, you know, I don't know, esoteric, disconnected, unincarnate, disincarnate. Is it disincarnate? Unincarnate? What's the word? Not incarnate. <laughs> Gnostic. How about that? But, <laughs> um, but you know, to make it the whole story, the whole gospel is is about flesh and blood. It's not, you know, and so like what we what we talk about in terms of 
our spirituality, if that isn't like actually grounded in a real life in a way that makes some kind of difference, then we might be missing something really, really, and we are missing it. It's not, we're not, we haven't gotten where we need to be yet. I think it's part two. I think we have to do Uh this again. (laughs) Um, Well, that sounds fun. It's just been amazing to do this with you again, like so much of the word has been brought. Um, and I'm, I'm so excited to hear what our, our listeners, um, engage with from this episode. And, um, I wondered if I could put you on the spot and see if you might say a prayer for us. I'd love to, I'd love to let's pray. Loving, gracious, tender God, for this story that we have spent some time thinking about today and what it reveals to us about your tenderness, your presence, your commitment to be with us, to perceive us, to affirm and strengthen us, and to liberate us, we give you thanks. I pray today for all of our parents and all the places they are, all the different situations, the ones that are having kind of a a smooth sailing kind of moment and those who are down in places that feel like real um, tangles. I pray that you would be with them in all of those places. Help them remember that you are close, as close as their own breath, and that you are with them and that you love them, and that you will continue to hold and guide them as they seek to share love and care and provide safety and support for the children, the young people, and their whole family. And we pray that you would guide us always to learn from our children and our youth to pay attention to what they have to teach us and to reveal to us. For we know that your deep wisdom resides deep within them. Bless us uh, in all the ways that we care for one another and strengthen us for the living of these and all our days. We pray trusting in your grace and your love and your compassion. And in Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Uh, Well, this has been an absolute blast. I want to tell our listeners, you can follow Pastor Ginger on Twitter. Can you share your Twitter handle with us? Oh, what is my Twitter handle? I don't know what my Twitter handle is. I just go there and do stuff. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Let's find it. It's Ginger GC, Ginger GC on Twitter. Ginger GC on Twitter. Yeah. All right. We'll see you later next time. Peace out. Thanks for listening to the Auto Parent Podcast. We're going to leave you with a parent mantra, something you can say to yourself or to your partner just to know that you're not alone. Your mantra for this week is, I honor what is happening in my body. I honor what is happening in my body. Because friends, if we don't believe that, it's going to be really hard to convince our kids. And remember this, you don't have to be an auto parent to be a good one. I've been your host, Pastor KC. You can follow me on Twitter at RevKCVC. Join us next week, same time, same place.
find out more information about Foundry United Methodist Church by visiting our website, www.foundryumc.org. If you're specifically looking for information about our family ministries department or our offerings for parents, you can find those at www.foundryumc.org slash family ministries.